Good morning. I'd like to welcome Joe and Pam and Chris Ryder who are with us today. Most of us were here in Sunday school and got to hear them speak and um, thankful for the ministry that you guys do and the work that you do in Indianapolis. And uh, it's wonderful to have you guys with us today. Um, I've heard before that, like when you go to a shopping mall, that, you know, like the restaurants and the food court, like the smell kind of goes throughout the mall and like it makes you hungry. And I've heard even grocery stores do that with like when they have fresh baked items. And I just was thinking about that as we can smell uh, the food that's downstairs. So uh, should we just go to lunch now? Um, Galatians chapter five is where we'll be this morning. Switching things up a little bit. We'll be in Galatians chapter five. And uh, it's good to see you all today. Also, if you could be, uh, please be praying for us this week. Uh, Carrie has uh, an anatomy scan of the baby, so that's where they look at everything. Uh, 20 weeks today, actually, is where Carrie is. And uh, yeah, I just pray for everything to go well with that. So far, everything seems like it's gone well with the pregnancy, and I definitely appreciate your prayers. Um, also, want to send greetings from June and Ruby. Uh, I was vis visiting with them yesterday, and June is back at home, and... Um, they just, they really love you all and, and appreciate everyone's prayers. Um, also, want to make note of, some of you might know this, but our friends uh, Jeff and Brandy Williams are relocating. They're moving to the Baton Rouge, Louisiana area. And um, obviously it's been a crazy year with everything going on, um, but they definitely, I think, are, are very appreciative just of this church. And, what it was for them and what it meant to them in their time living in this area. And uh, I know personally I will really, really miss them. But Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be today. Beginning at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions... Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity we have again to come together to worship you. Lord, we pray for our time in your word. Lord, we pray for our morning today. So thankful to have, again, people committed to serving you with Young Life in Indianapolis joining us today. Lord, we pray for the work that, that they do. Lord, we pray that you continue to, to bless this ministry and the ways in which it's impacting students, people coming from all over the world. 
uh, to some of these communities, Lord. And we just pray for your, for your blessing and favor on their ministry. Lord, we do pray for more opportunities for them to have people joining with them, working with them to reach more and more schools in that area, Lord, that it could just really be a force for good and for the gospel in those communities. So, Lord, we pray for them. We pray for safe travels back home for them, Lord. We pray for a lunch that we'll be having in a little bit, Lord, and thank you for that we're able to do this again. Lord, it's been a long time coming, and so we just uh, we, we praise you for the opportunity to sit together and enjoy a meal together. Lord, something we see so many times in the Bible and just the real spiritual opportunity of connection and community that the meal provides. Lord, we continue to pray for June, Lord, and for the hospice staff who are taking care of him. Lord, we pray for him. We pray for a lot of good days still to come. Lord, we pray for Ruby as well, Lord, just for strength for them, for this couple who means so much to this church. Lord, we pray for our time in your word today. We pray that you would bless these words and point us to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's Pentecost Sunday today. That's why we're switching things up a little bit. We've been in the Gospel of John uh, today, looking in the book of Galatians and uh, a section that's very well known and beloved by many, the fruit of the Spirit. Pentecost Sunday is recorded in Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out, is poured out upon the believers. I've heard it referred to before as the birthday of the church. And again, to observe this day, I've had a good place to look would be in this passage in Galatians chapter 5, where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The main idea from this passage, it's on the PowerPoint, is the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And with that, we'll jump right in. We'll be looking at this passage this morning in three sections. Walking by the spirit, the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the spirit. The first part... Walking by the Spirit, beginning in verse 16, says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit. Like I said a moment ago, this passage has a lot of good things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This passage also has some things that are not good. Sexual immorality, idolatry, jealousy, divisions, dissensions. Now, it can be really easy to take this passage and to just make it a moralized list of do's and don'ts. But there's actually only one command given in this passage. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we get to the part of the passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Paul is not so much saying do those things in this passage. Rather, he's saying that those are the byproduct of walking in the Spirit. This whole passage is about the spiritual life of a believer. Verse 18 will talk about being led by the Spirit. 
At the end of the passage, verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the focus of the passage is life in the Spirit. And Paul fittingly begins with the imperative to walk by the Spirit. But what does that mean, to walk by the Spirit? The word walk gets used several times in the Bible, in the New Testament, to talk about the Christian life. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Or again, 1 John 2, 6 talks about being a follower of Christ. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The life of faith is a journey and is referred to as someone's walk. And really, that's as appropriate a term as any. Throughout the ups and downs and the twists and turns of life, we are to walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to follow where the Spirit is leading. And walking by the Spirit must be a daily choice. And it is a choice throughout the day. Living for God. That the Lord is supposed to be the focus of everything we do, everything we have, everything we are, everything we think. Now, to some, that might not seem too appealing. That might seem too demanding. Then you're not going to be walking by the Spirit, at least not to the extent that you could. You do have the ability to do what you want to do. You have the ability to choose to disregard God. But if you want joy, if you want peace, if you want kindness, if you want love, walk by the Spirit. And it's about having a love for God, walking with God, so that you'll experience the Lord more fully, so that you'll have a fuller life based around the Lord, not based around yourself or your own hobbies or interests or pursuits, but based in God. God freely gives grace, but the growing relationship with the Lord does take commitment and intentionality, and we must cooperate with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says, At one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Again, the Christian life is not about a bunch of rules. It's living life in the spirit of a good God who brings life and purpose and seeing in that the beauty and goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And so I say again, the Christian life is not just about do this and don't do that. Rather, it's the more closely you walk in step with the Spirit, the more your love and affection are in the beauty and glory of God. The more you taste and see that the Lord is good, then the more you will hunger and thirst for righteousness. The more fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life, and the more your life reflects God's goodness and character. The Spirit enables us to live out God's law. 
Paul begins by talking about walking with the Spirit. But verse 17 switches and talks about the opposite direction. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh versus the Spirit. Just because we have the Holy Spirit in us certainly does not mean that everything in our life of faith becomes easy and that we never struggle with sin because we are simultaneously saint and sinner. You're still sinful, yet forgiven by the grace of God as a result of faith in Christ. I think verse 17 is helpful in understanding the Christian life. Because for a Christian, even though you have the Holy Spirit, you still have a sinful nature. And the two are at war with each other. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And we'll see Paul elaborate on that more in this passage. The flesh, our sinful nature, is never in agreement with the Spirit. Again, waging war within every believer. And no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, no matter how well you know the Bible, no matter how much time you spend praying, no matter how loudly you sing in worship, that war never stops on this side of heaven. You'll never be so mature as a Christian that you're past any type of internal conflict. And in one sense, that should be an encouragement. That if you're struggling, if you're going through a spiritually difficult time, not to get totally down on yourself and condemning yourself. Not to look at it and think, shouldn't this be easier by now? No. Because you have a sinful nature. And that opposes the things of God. That opposes the spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Now, don't misunderstand. On the one hand, yes, we should be encouraged that we're not alone in that. That the most godly person in this room still struggles. Still has days where they're spiritually flat. Still has situations where they don't walk in as much faith as they should. But at the same time, don't... Take that and twist it and make it seem like it's saying that sin, therefore, isn't a big deal. Now, this passage mentions the struggle, mentions the war, but we still have to fight it. Because it should also be encouraging in that in walking through the spirit, there is victory. The spirit doesn't make us robots. Again, we cooperate with the Lord in our walk in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think that's also a reminder for us to be authentic with other believers in how we're doing with our walk, about our struggles and our challenges. I'm not saying that we need to overshare with everyone. 
but to have people in our lives with whom we can really be open. Because a lot of things in our world are competitive. And I think sometimes we can do that with faith, too. Of wanting to seem like we're doing the best. We've all met that person who kind of presents themselves as being basically this superhero Christian. They make it seem like they read the Bible like 15 hours a day. And when they're not doing that, they're just they're praying. They don't even sleep. They're just fasting and praying all day, every day. When they go fishing, they don't even take a boat. They just walk out on the water. We've all met the person who presents themselves like that. They're like, I don't even know how you would want to sin. I just always want to do what God... And that can be kind of discouraging. Now, that type of person doesn't truly exist. At least, aside from the one who went to the cross. But the people we meet are not perfect. They haven't all gotten it figured out. And I know that because... They still have a sinful nature that opposes the things of God. Anyone who tries to pretend that their their walk of faith is easy, I would say is claiming something that the Bible says is impossible. Because the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Think about it. It's hard to have faith permeate at every aspect of our lives. That should be the goal. But it is difficult. From the time we get up to the time we go to bed. The interactions we have with people who are just annoying. The stressful situations that we have to deal with at home or at work. Our unfulfilled hopes or desires. The mundane or stressful moments of life. There are challenges we face. Again, we should know the goal and what God calls us to. But we do not do that perfectly. Why? Because there's a war raging. I think something as simple as devotional time, and for many, how much of a struggle that can be. For so many people I talk to, it can be hard just to find an hour, just to find a half hour every day where there's no distractions. Distractions of a cell phone or email or the phone ringing. Looking around outside, starting a new task or thinking about your grocery shopping list or what you need to do that day or that week. All sorts of things that come to mind. And how much of a challenge it can be for so many to have a little bit of time totally interrupted, set aside for the Lord. And maybe some days it does go more smoothly than others. But is it like that every day? Is it like that most days? It's a challenge. Because the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Your sinful nature does not want you to grow with God. That's our first point. Second point, the works of the flesh. Verse 19 starts to talk about the byproducts of a sinful nature. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, 
fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul lists 15 sins. A couple things to note. Paul ends the list in verse 21 by saying, and things like these. Basically, he's saying, and I could continue. In that sense, it's given the idea that the list is incomplete. It's not an exhaustive list of sins. But these are all significant areas of sin. Paul gives a warning in verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sin is serious. Is he saying that if you ever sin, you're not saved? Of course not. We do sin. But let us not be comfortable with sin. Let us not be complacent about sin. Let us not be lax about sin. Are you fighting a losing battle with sexual immorality? Are you the source of divisions within your own home or work? Or with someone from the church? Is alcohol your true master? Do you have anger issues? Or sometimes you feel like you lose control? Do you have areas of sin where you battle them? Or do you give up? Are there certain sins that you do that you kind of like doing? Is it your sin that colors your relationships? Is there a sin in your life that people best know you for? It's a serious question. Or is your life marked by the grace of God, displaying itself through the work of the Spirit in a life that is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient? If there's no fruit in a person's life, I do think that it is a legitimate question for them to ask if they truly have the Spirit. Now, by virtue of having faith, we are given the Holy Spirit. We are born again and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. But if there's no fruit, we should take a look at ourselves, a look at our lives. If we actually believe in the gospel... Because a person who has never been changed by the gospel is a person who has never believed in the gospel. Either you are justified by faith and have the Spirit, or you don't have faith and therefore don't have the Spirit. If you don't, then the good news is the gospel and the grace of Christ that is good enough and strong enough and the only thing that can forgive you of your sins. That he died to save sinners. That there's nothing you do to earn that. That we are sinners and cannot make ourselves right with God. We can't follow the rules and earn God. We can't make ourselves deserve God. But Jesus died to redeem, to restore the relationship with God and humanity that had been broken by sin. And when you believe in Jesus, you have all the things he has promised You have forgiveness, you have a heavenly inheritance, and you have a new spirit. Because God loves us too much for us to stay the same. 
He doesn't want a stain in our old sinful life. That didn't work. We needed a savior. And so we come to verse 22 and our third point, the, th- the fruit of the spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit are fascinating to me. And I think one of the reasons why this section is most interesting to me is because these are things that we can't truly control. Again, in this passage, Paul gives one command. Walk by the Spirit. He doesn't say, be more loving, be more joyful, be more peaceful. Think about this for a moment. There are certain areas in our lives we can control. Think about it. Honesty. You can force yourself to be honest. You can choose not to lie. You can decide that for yourself. Honesty is not a fruit of the Spirit. Generosity is not a fruit of the Spirit. You can choose to give more or to do more for others. Those are things we can control. But the fruit of the Spirit... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things we can't do in ourselves. They're the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of our effort. Nine graces that the Lord produces in believers. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. So what this passage is saying is that if you're walking in the Spirit, it will manifest itself in love. Now, there are commands to love many places in the Bible. We should love people. We should love God. We should demonstrate our love towards others by our actions. And to a certain extent, yeah, we can control what we do. But not just our external actions, but in the depths of our soul... Are we doing things to show love out of love or out of a feeling of obligation or what we should be doing? I'm sure you've heard people say this. I've heard people say this before that love is a choice. It's not just about a feeling. Have you ever heard that? I would argue that that's wrong. That's the junior varsity form of love. Of course love is a feeling. We're supposed to actually love people, to have affection for people, to actually have a desire for what's best for people, for their salvation, for their joy. There are people in our lives who are hard to love. And to love those people is something that we cannot generate ourselves. It comes from God. We cannot make ourselves love someone on our own strength. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Another example, joy. Again, we cannot create joy on our own. You cannot make yourself joyful. You can't say, yesterday I didn't have enough joy. Today I am going to make myself more joyful. You can't do it. No matter how half full you try to look at things, No matter how much you try to force yourself to ignore little inconveniences or struggles, you cannot make true joy. You can pretend. You can bury your emotions. 
You can try to do whatever the self-help gurus tell you to do. Just like you can outwardly show acts of love, you can outwardly convey joy. But what about inwardly? True joy you can't produce. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy is a supernatural delight brought on by God through the Spirit. It's because joy is supernatural that we can have joy in even difficult circumstances. Because we have joy from seeing the glory and goodness of the Lord. The Spirit illuminates us to the good things of God. Jesus talks of that in John chapter 16, verse 14. Jesus says, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's look at another piece of fruit. Peace. Peace is not merely the absence of war. But peace is safety, harmony, wholeness, and unity. The peace that Jesus brings is a restoration of a relationship that had been broken due to sin. But we cannot give ourselves internal peace. You cannot make yourself feel peace with God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is no matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is supernatural. It's fruit. You don't cause fruit to grow. I know we're coming up on planting season in this area. A lot of work gets done to plant. To quote Tim Keller, he uses the word gardener, but I think it could also be used of a farmer. A gardener doesn't make the things grow. The gardener just creates the conditions through which the power of the seed is released. Again, we don't make the things grow. We don't make the corn grow. But we do have a role in providing the conditions where growth can happen. Another idea that Tim Keller brings up What does the Apostle Paul contrast the fruit of the Spirit with? It's not the fruit of the Spirit in the weeds of the flesh. It's the fruit of the Spirit in the works of the flesh. That we do commit our own sins. We do choose to sin. We are responsible for our own sins. And again, with the fruit of the Spirit... There is both an internal and external aspect to the fruit that we see in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I think kindness and patience are a couple you might think, but Josh, those you can, you can make happen. Can you? Again, we can outwardly be nice to people. We can smile at people. But what if somebody's really annoying or really great at you? Are you really so kind to that person if you're thinking unkind things while maybe being nice? Is that true kindness? True kindness to people who are difficult to love and be kind to? That's a fruit of the Spirit. Patience? I don't think that this passage is talking about being patient when you have to sit on hold for 20 minutes when you call customer service. Patience when you're dealing with a struggle or someone difficult for years. 
Patience when you're going through the most difficult circumstances of life and you don't know how things are going to turn out. And trusting the Lord in spite of that. That's a fruit of the Spirit. We should know the fruit of the Spirit. And we should desire to grow in all of the areas of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, things that God does in us as his people. Again, there are times when our outward actions might be in line. And yes, we should be loving or kind or good to people because we know it's what God desires. But as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we walk with the Lord, more and more we will do those things because it's what we desire. But it takes time. And it takes a daily walk with the Lord. But that's the new life that God produces in believers. Verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The work that happens and what is produced by walking with the Spirit. And really, that's the application for today, to live a life where you're walking with the Spirit. And as I've said probably four times already, it's easy to look at this passage as a list of do's and don'ts. The point of the passage is not love more, be more joyful, be more patient. It's to walk with the Spirit and what God produces when we are committed to walking with the Spirit, not reducing the list to do's and don'ts. I think we so often do that with things. Law and grace, do's and don'ts. There's two stories that I find interesting from Greek mythology, and I think this is a helpful illustration. In Greek mythology, they told the story of the sirens, these beautiful, mythical creatures, part woman, part bird, who had this beautiful siren song that they would sing. And when sailors on boats would hear the siren song, they would steer towards the music and lose their lives getting caught up on the rocks as they approached the tempting song of the sirens. In the Odyssey, Homer's great epic poem, Odysseus wants to hear the siren song, but he doesn't want to die. And so he has his men on the ship put wax in their ears so that they cannot hear the music. Odysseus, though, he makes his men tie him to the mast of his ship so that he can hear the song and how beautiful it is. I think sometimes that's how we approach how we're supposed to live, just kind of forcing ourselves to do things. I think that's a good illustration of just making stuff about rules and what to do. But in Greek mythology, there's another story. Jason and the Argonauts, and they too are sailors on a ship. And they, before coming to hear the sirens, one of the men on the ship, Orpheus, who plays an instrument called the lyre. It's like a stringed instrument. Drowns out the sirens. 
Because he plays a song that is even more beautiful than what the sirens are singing. I think it's oftentimes too narrow and short-sighted a view of what God desires from us when we just make it about rules. And we lose sight of the fact that we follow God, yes, because he wants us to, and it's what he desires from us, but also because it is better. That it is a more beautiful song than what the world has to offer and is trying to lure us into. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your truth. Lord, may we be a people and a church where we do walk by the Spirit and as a result of that do become more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled all to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.